Welcome to All About Agatha, the podcast dedicated to reading and ranking every single mystery novel written by the Queen of Prime. I'm Catherine Brobeck. I am Kemper Donovan. And this week we are yet again tackling Kemper's favorite, Miss Marple. A marpling we go, <laughs> a marpling we go. Now I'm horrified. Our topic (laughs) this week, we are back at our favorite dinner party. A dinner party I think that both of us would probably be very intrigued to be invited to. Except then we'd have to tell a story of murder. It's true. And mystery. It's true. And I don't know that I have one, so... (laughs) I think I'd have about as poor of a showing as Jane Hillier. I know, I know. (laughs) You and me both. But this week we have, in fact, Sir Henry Clithering telling the story of the four suspects. So the four suspects was first published in the Storyteller magazine in April of 1930 in the UK, and apparently it was published in the US in a little journal called Pictorial Review earlier that year in January. So let's talk about our victim. Our victim is Dr. Rosen. Dr. Rosen is a German who apparently did a little bit of spycraft after the war. His pièce de résistance was a takedown of... um, Lovely accent. Thank you. Thank you. A takedown of uh, a crime syndicate in Germany called the Schwarze Hand. The what did you say? The Schwarze Hand? The Schwartz. Can okay, you say it one sorry, more time? The Schwartz hand. How about that? <laughs> May the Schwartz be with you. May the Schwartz hand be with you. Give me about two minutes, and I will make another Mel Brooks reference. So, <laughs> anyway, he has infiltrated on behalf of German authorities. He's a marked man in Germany and needs to get out. Correct, of and Germany. so and so they have made a deal with the English so that the English take him in to hide him in the English countryside. Well, what a charming interwar tale of British and German companionship. I guess so. (laughs) (laughs) He's escaped Germany, but then he does not escape death, sadly. He dies by falling down a flight of stairs in his own home in the English countryside, apparently by accident. So it's Kemper, the suspects. Let's talk about our suspects. Uh, Shockingly, there are four of them. You don't say. (laughs) So, So number one. We have Fräulein Greta Rosen, who is Dr. Rosen's pretty young niece, who comes to live with him in his Somerset cottage when he flees Germany. She flees along with him and is essentially acting as his housekeeper. She's like keeping house for him, it seems. Right. And then his actual housekeeper is uh, Frau Blucher. I am Frau Blucher. Inga, may I present Frau Blucher? After you, Frau Blucher. <laughs> Sorry. I can't I can't help it because it's also all that I could think of. Her real name is uh, you know, Frau Gertrude. Um but she is I think we we did a Frau Blucher reference before because I remember I'm sure. I try I'm, to I try to insert, I remember having to do the horse name. Well, I try um, to insert the uh, you know, a Frau Blucher horse name into my daily conversations. So Oh, you know what it was? It was the Tommy and Tuppence where they go to what they think is a shady mental hospital, but it's really a fat farm. Oh. And there's the German the German Frau at least 
least in the adaptation, she's totally got a Frau Blucher. She do- definitely vibe. does. But this this one also kind of does because she's like a very tightly wound um, like housekeeper who has mm-hmm. been with him for 40 years and is like insanely loyal. Yeah. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if she has a big old braid wrapped around her head. I know. I think it's definitely, definitely possible. Um, but so she's one of the four suspects. Then we have Dobbs, who is a local gardener, and he has never left his small village of, I believe it's pronounced King's Natan, although that's Natan with a G, as one would spell Nat. That's my best guess. Feel free to correct us if that is incorrect, but I can't imagine that it's good Natan. Um, and then last but not least, we have Charles Templeton, who is Dr. Rosen's secretary. But he's actually like a Scotland Yard detective doing essentially protective work, um, looking up for Dr. Rosen. Or is he? Or is he? Or is he a double agent? It is possible. This is an Agatha Christie short story, after all. Speaking of the world as it appears to be in this short story, yes, indeed, we are back at our favorite dinner party. And it is Sir Henry Clithering's turn to spin an old yarn, but he is not going to tell us a tale of a criminal apprehended by Scotland Yard. He is, in fact, going to tell the tale of an unsolved murder, which doesn't even appear to be murder. And why is he going to tell the story? And this is very important and something that we have come across before in Christie, and I believe we will come across it again. Oh, I think we will. The the reason why he cares so much about figuring out who did this dastardly deed is that he is upset at the notion that three out of four of these suspects are in fact innocent Mm -hmm. and that the stink of guilt is hanging over these poor innocents and it just doesn't sit well with him. And it certainly didn't sit well with Agatha Christie. And we saw this in actually our first Miss Marple novel. We did. We, we saw a, a case of that and we will, we will come across it time and time again in future novels and stories. So mm-hmm. it's this idea that the suffering of the innocent and the falsely accused will not stand In fact, punishment for the guilty is less important than clearing the air for the innocent. All right, so if that's the point of him telling the story, what is this story that he is telling, this yarn? Basically, as we said, after the war, there was this German Secret Service agent, his name is Dr. Rosen, and he went undercover to sort of get in with the Schwartz hand. May the Schwartz be with you! Which is essentially, I guess, the German version here of not the mafia, but the Camorra. So the Neapolitan organized crime sort of version. That's what it says in the story. I mean, I'll be honest with you. My knowledge of the Camorra comes exclusively from the Neapolitan novels by Elena Ferrante. So I I don't have much here. No, that that in the movie Gamora. Those are the only two references that I have for that, to be completely honest. Well, honestly, how is it different from the mafia? Well, so from what I understand... Please, oh, blind one, <laughs> lead, lead us. I know. As, as we know from a million American mob movies, that's all the Sicilian mafia, right? And so the Sicilian mafia has a hierarchical structure... And the Camorra is more loosely affiliated families that sort of have vague criminal interactions and then a lot of infighting, I think. There's not like a godfather, essentially. So it's basically not as well organized. Correct. 
it's somewhat organized crime as opposed to organized crime. Right. Yes. It's just, it's, it's okay. also very, very widespread. And I think it's actually become even more widespread. And it's also really hard to fight the Camorra because unlike the mafia where you can take out the Don basically and mm. bring down a family because the Camorra doesn't have that kind of hierarchical leadership, you can't take out top figures in order to bring it down. There's no head to cut off. So Correct. Yeah, exactly. So, so supposedly the Schwartz hand is um, <laughs> is a, like the Camorra. Um, but I mean, it's a really weird thing to name this crime thing, and it makes it a little bit confusing because the word is one letter off from being Schwarze, which is the German word for black. So the black hand. Right, which is an actual group. Yeah, it's a, well, a they, I mean, group. they were Serbian, but I mean, obviously they're one of the uh, like major igniting factors of World War One, And so it's a really, really odd thing to choose to name this group. I don't know. It just struck me as weird. As often happens with Christy, I feel like she's doing a mishmash of real things, but just making her own fake version. Right. And you're meant you're meant to, I think, pick up on all of these real world illusions, but not worry about it too much. Especially in a short story. I know, but it's like there are weird specifics to it that I just I spent more time thinking about what Dr. Rosen's adventures were were like than I think I did a lot of the actual elements um in this. The mystery elements yes. of the story. Yeah. Any any yeah. So Dr. Rosen did his thing and he took down apparently a significant portion of this criminal syndicate. But then the German government decided to work with England, hence this charming tale of interwar companionability between Germany and the UK. He comes to England into the charming village of Kings Nathan in Somerset, along with his niece Greta, his forever housekeeper Gertrude, and they hire Dobbs, who's the longtime local, as the gardener. And then Sir Henry is the one who installs Charles Templeton, who is in fact one of his detectives, as secretary to Dr. Rosen, and he is fluent in German, so that makes him actually good at his cover job. Dr. Rosen himself is convinced that he will be found by the vestiges of the group that he brought down and killed soon enough. Uh, He's more or less resigned to it, and he just wants to live out his days happily in a charming little cottage until he's murdered. And that seems to be exactly what happens, because he does die... Though it's not an obvious murder, he just appears to have slipped down the stairs of his house and broken his neck. But obviously, Sir Henry Glithering and all of Scotland Yard are suspicious about this death. Right. And so at the time of the quote-unquote accident, everybody pretty much seems to have an alibi, even though none of the alibis are what you would call watertight. The biggest issue here also, again, is that it appears to be an accident, so nobody's really digging into this. Um, Except kind of Sir Henry. Basically, Greta was gardening, Dobbs, the actual gardener, is having his 11Cs, (laughs) Gertrude's in the kitchen with the doors closed, and Templeton is apparently outside wandering around and reading a letter. By the way, anytime anyone ever mentions 11Cs, I think of The Hobbit. Or I think of hobbits in general. Sure. I think that's one of the characteristics of hobbits, that they eat more often than humans. Yes. Throughout the day. They eat a lot, and they definitely eat 11s every day. Right. That is, like, not optional if you're a hobbit. Like, you, you are having that meal. Gentlemen, we do not stop till nightfall. What about breakfast? We've already had it. We've had one, yes. What about second breakfast? 
he knows about second breakfast, Pip. What about the Levensies? Luncheon, afternoon tea, dinner, supper. He knows about them, doesn't he? I wouldn't count on it. I mean, let's be honest. Hobbits, all they do is eat and nap. <laughs> they are children, hence they're also small stature. He wasn't, he wasn't exactly being <laughs> subtle there in his... Not, uh, not so much. <laughs> Depiction of, of the hobbits and hobbiton. All, all the, Any, all the anyway, love in the world to Tolkien. All the love in the world, seriously. So Sir Henry investigates and he notes that the doors were all locked when the body was found. So if this was, in fact, murder and not an accident, either the murderer had a key to the house, making it one of the four suspects, the titular four suspects, or it had to be a visitor who had been let in. And there were actually three visitors. The butcher who brought mutton, the grocer's assistant who brought groceries, and the postman who brought the mail. So that is where we are. Let's talk about the world as it actually is. We just mentioned about those visitors. The story's not called The Three Visitors, No, it? it's not. And so about those visitors, they are um, all cleared by Sir Henry. So why are they listed then? And more importantly, why are the items they brought to the house listed in detail? Are you saying that there is a laundry list? Oh, I might story? be saying that. I might be suggesting mm, that. Might that be significant? Might that be a clue number Oh, one? it might be. Why don't you tell us what that is, Kemper? We get a list of items from the butcher, the grocer, the postman. Neither the baker nor the candlestick maker could make it, apparently. <laughs> But had the murder not been him breaking his neck but being poisoned, for example, we might want to look more closely at the grocer, but he did fall down the stairs or was pushed. So in that case, the order from the Schwartz hand had to come to actually murder him. One of these four suspects must have gotten the go-ahead to kill him because he had been living there for many months and there's no way that they would have just done this on their own. They had to have gotten the order because even though it's apparently an inefficiently run or or just diffuse organization, it is still an organization nonetheless. Right. So the deduction there is that the list that is of great import is the mailman's list. And what does the mailman bring? Well, quite a laundry list of things, in fact. He brings... Two circulars for Fräulein Rosen, a local letter for Gertrude, three letters for Dr. Rosen, one with a foreign stamp, and two letters for Mr. Templeton, one also with a foreign stamp. We also find out that the two circulars are for a nursery, as in flowers, and a London furrier. Two of the letters are bills, and that Mr. Templeton also received a bill and a letter from his cousin in Germany. And then Dr. Rosen received this super weird letter. All right, so... <laughs> which we get read out in the story. Oh, mm. yeah. Maybe maybe we should... There, there's a... I will point out in advance of this. There's another letter read out in the story, but let's just call it a red herring and we won't focus on that. We will focus on Dr. Rosen's particularly weird letter. It reads right. as follows. My dear Rosen, just back from Dr. Helmuth Spots, I saw Edgar Jackson the other day. He and Amos Perry have just come back from Tsingtao. In all honesty, I can't say I envy them the trip. Let me have news of you soon. As I said before, beware of a certain person. You know who I mean, though you don't agree. Yours, Georgine. Dr. Rosen doesn't know who any of these people are, and he has never met a Georgine. So he tosses the letter across the table and says he has no clue what this is about. And so sitting at this table are Templeton and Greta. And what is the deduction here? Something is up with the letter. And the other letter that we get, the red herring letter, does sound very 
run-of-the-mill. This one is pretty obviously, there's something weird here. I mean, it barely makes sense. Right. Miss Marple, this is our clue number three, Miss Marple makes an observation, so let's all pay attention now. (laughs) And she notes that in this weird letter, the word honesty, it appears in the middle of a sentence, and it is capitalized. And Dolly Bantry also notices this. So, again, short story, fully reprinted letter, weirdo letter, let's pay attention. Why is that H in honesty capitalized? Well, if you were very, very clever, a super astute reader, you would look to see what else was capitalized, which still isn't really all that obvious because the rest of the important capitalized words are all proper nouns. But that perhaps would get you a little closer to the answer. And for that, we're going to have to go to clue number four. And Catherine Brobeck, and this, take and this away. This is a clue that I will be honest. If you, if you got this clue, hats off to you because I, I certainly would not have ever understood this. But there are a lot of references to gardening in this story, like a lot of references to gardening. And first of all, it's a Miss Marple well, story. Correct. So. Well, so this is, so this is part of the problem here, right? Because it is a Miss Marple story. We are used to having a plethora of references to gardening. There are references to gardening even in random asides in Miss Marple stories. You can't like escape a chapter in a Miss Marple story without a reference to gardening. So it does not seem obvious. And furthermore, a Miss Marple story involving Dolly Bantry, because Dolly Bantry is a gardening furry. Right. She cannot get, I mean, that is her raison d'etre. Well, we'll get to that actually in, in the next story that we do, but she lives, eats, and breathes gardening. So uh, that is significant Well, here. right. And it's also why Dolly Bantry in this gets to be actually really pretty clever because she sees it pretty immediately what the issue is. But we do not, unless you two are Dolly Bantry-esque in your gardening habits. Before you tell us what the what the answer is, I will also note, and again, this is just taking in context now these larger, you know, the 13 problems as a full volume in itself. And I've made this point before, but I think it's worth making again. So many of these stories I'm noticing have to do with technical knowledge. Right. They're, I think I called them scientific before, yes. which, you know, is, is, is a more clumsy way, I think, of just saying that they really hinge on technical knowledge, which we sometimes see in Christie. We certainly saw, saw it in her first novel, A Mysterious Affair at Styles, which hinged on technical knowledge of a chemist. You know, chemicals. Yeah, uh, yeah you, you essentially had to be a chemist <laughs> to, to get that one. But we've really seen it time again, time and again in these Miss Marple stories. So this one fits right in with that pattern. Right. And so the big, the big clues here are are all gardening clues. And the thing that you could easily overlook in the litany of things that the postman brings is that he also brings gardening catalogs. Right. They are coming along with the letter in the mail. And bear that in mind because it actually does matter. So So. how does this story resolve (laughs) itself, Kemper? Sir Henry is clueless. He still has no idea what happened. He suspects that this was murder, but he can't prove it. And he's especially upset about this because he has this notion that there was actually love in the air right? at that charming little cottage in Somerset. And that makes the entire situation far more upsetting because the reality is he suspects his man, Charles Templeton, he thinks that he is the assassin since Charles Templeton very, very suspiciously tore up that mystery letter from Germany that he received And then also because the lovely Greta Rosen, Dr. Rosen's niece, has come to Sir Henry Clithering to express her concerns and hopes 
that he can clear up Charles's name. And that is the uh, where there seems to be a little love affair that has blossomed between these two young and good looking people. Right. As as will happen. Unfortunately, their flames of love have died out since the household split up. And how can you blame them? Because all of this suspicion is hanging over these four suspects. Sir Henry doesn't know what to do here. He wants to clear his promising young detective's name, not only for himself, but especially for Greta. So he's bringing this problem, you know, all of these stories that they're telling at the dinner party are mainly by way of diversion and joking even. But this one's not so much. Like, he's actually asking them for a solution. And this is where we get to Miss Marple and Dolly Bantry having, as Oprah would call it, an aha moment. Right. And it's it's actually two aha moments for Miss Marple and Dolly Bantry. Both of them have been around the block a few times, at least as far as human behavior goes. At least Miss Marple has. I think feel like Dolly Bantry just hears names that have to do with gardening and she's like, who, who, gardening? What, what? No, it's definitely true. But Miss <laughs> Miss Marple sees what's what here pretty immediately. So here's the thing. That weird letter to Dr. Rosen is basically written in kind of like a really kind of bootleg code. <laughs> I mean, it's really yeah. like not a lot of effort was put into the code. No. <laughs> it's like so obviously in code because it barely makes sense. Right. All of the proper names in the letter form an acrostic that reads death. <laughs> the D in Dr. Helm of Spaths, then E in Edgar Jackson, A in Amos Perry, T Sing Tao, and the H in Honesty. What Miss Marple and Dolly both immediately see is that all of the proper names in the letter are flower varieties out of a gardening catalog. Honesty is the giveaway, right? right? Because it's the only one that sticks out as being oddly capitalized since it's not a, a name or a proper noun. Honesty is a type of Dahlia. Um, uh, and on top of that, apparently what we find out only at the end, but we can just reveal it here, is that uh, it's signed what looks like Georgine. It's a little bit unclear from the handwriting, but um, Georgina is apparently the Teutonic form of Dahlia. Oh, yeah, I was all over that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, and apparently what we also find out from Miss Marple is that flowers have codes. I mean, we know this to some extent. It's why, like, you know, you give, for example, lilies are funereal, right? We still Roses are romantic and sexual. Like red roses, right? Have, represent like sure, romantic yes, especially. So like sure. you, can, you can code things and we still have vestiges of that, right? But apparently one of the versions that Miss Marple knows is that dahlias represent treachery and misrepresentation. This uh, coded letter is really pretty ham-fisted. <laughs> yeah. So, so who is that letter going to? Is it going to Charles Templeton? It technically went to Dr. Rosen. It's just that he read it and was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. And he flung it on the table. Mm -hmm. And who then would naturally pick it up? Well, I mean, point? it seems it like perhaps a secretary, Charles Templeton. It seems like a misdirect, right? Right. But no. <laughs> no, it's a letter meant for Greta. And the author of it knows full well that Dr. Rosen's going to be like, what on earth is this? And have somebody else read it. And so the code is the alert to kill him. To be fair to the story, I think the reason why we, we ultimately are supposed to realize the letter is meant for Greta and not for Charles Templeton, because either of them could have picked it up and read it at the breakfast table, is that Greta is the one who got the gardening catalog. Right. Mm -hmm. So 
she then would have been able to decode the letter by picking up on the fact that these were all flowers uh, the, and that they were dollies. The, the, slight, the, the slight problem with this, the, the niche that I will pick, sure. is that it's a really weak acrostic, right? So the second that you see it, it's really obvious. And so, you know, if you were just looking at the capitalized letters, you would be able to actually see it even without knowing that they were all flower names. Yeah, I guess. Obviously, I understand how the clues are supposed to pair together, but I'm just saying that it's poorly done on the part of the assassins because if you were clever, you would look at it and you would just see that it was an acrostic anyway. I certainly didn't. No. I didn't pick up on the base acrostic elements of it. And I guess you could argue that given the gardening catalog as well, pairing those two, you would be that much more likely to crack the terrible code. <laughs> right, <of this> right. <laughs> yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. We've talked about this. Some of these stories hinge on solutions that are a little thin, perhaps. And this, though, is a charming, diverting story. No, it is. Regardless of it. No, it is. And, you know, and the other the other reason back to how this is solved by Miss Marple and Dolly at some level is not just that they see what the message is and not just that they know that Greta received the gardening catalog. It's the fact that Greta went to Sir Henry that gives her away. That is, in fact... The final tell because right. she and why so? She, it's <laughs> it is interesting. She goes to him with this tale of romantic woe, and she, you know, really wants badly to clear the air. And of course, Sir Henry listens to her, and he feels terrible because he really likes Templeton, right? And he really wants this to work out, and so she reinforces Sir Henry's suspicions about his own detective by bringing it up. You could say that this was an accident, that this was romantic, but unfortunately, Miss Marple and Dolly have somewhat more of a cynical view about the ladies of Christie. (laughs) And as as perhaps you do as well. I mean, it's a distinct. They're singing your tune, Catherine. Distinct possibility. They see right through it. Miss Marple has to slowly, slowly explain to Sir Henry that he's been played because Greta has no interest in Charles, or maybe, or rather, I take that back. It seems that perhaps maybe she did have something of an interest in him. He does not particularly seem to have an interest in her. And also... At least any any more. I mean, Miss Marple, and she's totally conjecturing here. I mean, she's basing this oh, on yeah. nothing other than her own knowledge of human nature. Right. But she says, I've no doubt there is a barrier between them. The young man felt a sudden inexplicable repulsion. He mm-hmm. suspected purely through instinct and couldn't hide the suspicion. And I really think that the girl's visit to you was just pure spite. She was safe enough, really, but she just went out of her way to fix your well, suspicions right. definitely on poor Mr. Templeton. It does seem like she must have gone out of spite because it gives her away for no reason. Yeah, and by the way, Miss Marple, all of her sympathies lie with Frau Blucher. <laughs> 
<laughs> Gertrude because she knows how painful right. any sort of suspicion resting on her shoulders would be, given the fact that she was the faithful servant to this man for, what was it, 40 years? 40 years, yep. Yeah, and she doesn't want her to live with that feeling, feeling that people don't believe that she was a, a good and an honest Right, and it's really funny. Miss Mar- Miss Marple makes like a very heartfelt plea to Sir Henry in this to please make sure that Gertrude knows that her name is cleared. It's weirdly touching. I feel like Miss Marple, you know, she can have a soft spot sort of, but this is a very earnest plea. It's very earnest, and she really, um, I mean, in her Miss marple way, it's amazing how she zeroes in on that old servant as the one to worry about. She's not concerned about Mr. Templeton because he's apparently going to marry his cousin. (laughs) Well, he ripped up a letter from his German cousin. That was a letter he ripped up and he's, and she suspects that he ripped it up probably because it had something in it that may have been incriminating should Greta have found out about it since he was supposed to actually be carrying an an, an affair on with her. And Mr. Templeton is young and he's good looking and he'll be fine. And, And she says that Dobbs, is probably just thinking about his elevensies. What about elevensies? That's all he cares about. <laughs> because, um, yeah, because he's a member of the Baggins family. Right. But then poor old Gertrude, who of course reminds her of someone from St. Mary Mead, a servant who was falsely accused of making away with the will of her mistress and nothing could be proved and almost broke her heart. And then after, and then she died. And then afterward it came to light that she was totally innocent and it was very tragic. So she does not want the same thing to happen to poor Gertrude. And she says, you will write to her, won't you, Sir Henry? And just tell her that her innocence is established beyond doubt. Her dear old master dead and she no doubt brooding and feeling herself suspected of. Oh, it won't bear thinking about. Doesn't sound very dark marble to me, Catherine. <laughs> Darn it anyway. <laughs> you know what? Maybe she's just, she has to front every now and then. <laughs> she's playing the long con here. <laughs> I know. Well, you know, if you if you were going to play the long con to anybody, as we have found out in this story, by the way, Sir Henry Clithering is very partial. That to- is that is actually a really good point. And he certainly uh, becomes a very important person within her greater career. Indeed. In novels and other short stories. So, so that, it- is, that is true. If there were anybody who she were going to play the long con to, you know, this might just be very, very clever, Dark Marble. I will say, and it all happens on the last page of this story, there are two moments here that I absolutely love as a scholar of Marpelian studies. One is Miss Marple reminiscing about her German governess. Mm-hmm. She says that she and her sister... I assume that's Raymond West's mother, but who knows? There may have been another sibling since, again, remember Mabel? Mabel did not really seem to be Raymond's sister, maybe (laughs) a cousin. Anyway, my sister and I had a German governess, a Fraulein, a very sentimental creature. And then she goes through this forgotten study of the language of flowers. A yellow tulip means hopeless love. A china aster means I die of jealousy, et cetera, et cetera. And then the story ends on a comedic beat that's really one of my favorite in these stories. And yes, it involves Jane Hellier, dingbat <laughs> actress. <laughs> and she says, a man used to send me purple orchids every night to the theater. And then Miss Marple responds, I await your favors. That's what that means. And then Sir Henry gave a peculiar sort of cough and turned his head away, which is not the first time that Miss Marple has made people laugh with her observations there. Let's be honest, she's essentially calling Jane out for being a little um, easy, shall we say? Yes. Let's just say (laughs) that I'm pretty certain that Miss Marple has 
a fairly low opinion of Jane Hellier. <laughs> so Well, and we uh, haven't gotten to her story yet, which is quite a doozy. So we've got that to look forward to. We definitely do. The two Janes. Some Jane on Jane action. That's coming not not next. Next we've got Dolly Bantry. But after that, we have the pleasure of some Jane squared action. <laughs> Yes, indeed. Join us next time for our next Miss Marvel short story, which will be The Herb of Death. And we should mention that our next novel coming up is, of course, a Poirot novel because we've only been reading Poirot novels and will continue to only read Poirot novels for a bit. But that one is Cards on the Table. And if you guys get sick of it, then you'll understand how Agatha Christie felt. Precisely. Now I understand why she called him a creep. Take that back. <laughs> that hurts my soul. Well, we know that she preferred Miss Marvel well, to Mr. Mm, Poro by the end of her career. Fine. Um, but car- guess guess who appears, Kemper, in Cards on the Table? Ariadne Oliver. Oh, does she ever? I think that we have Ariadne Oliver, and I actually think that Colonel Race and Superintendent Battle might also be in it. Well, look at all of these things that we have to look forward to. It's like a super band. In the meantime, we would love to hear from you. As always, you can email us at allaboutthedame at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at allaboutthedame or on Facebook at allaboutagatha or on Instagram at allaboutagatha. And of course, you can find Catherine individually at Robcat on Twitter. And you can always rate and review us. We'd love when you do anywhere you are listening to this podcast. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.